Hey there, welcome to the Agents of Revival podcast. If you're ready to be healed and take full accountability of your life by evolving into your best self, then this is the podcast for you. I am your host, Andrea Griffin Rogers, and I'll share with you winning steps as well as personal tips and anecdotes on how to go from brokenness to wholeness and from scattered pieces to inner peace. So come on in and join me on this healing journey and let's become whole together. Enjoy it. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode with me. How you doing today? I'm so glad to welcome you back. I pray that this message stirs your faith, falls on good ground, and produces good fruit in your life. And so today's episode, you know, we're in a new series called Trigger Wars. And we are at uh, part five. And this is called The Law of Exception. Ooh, yes, baby, the law of exception. And so before I get into it, uh, you're going to probably hear me say like almost every day now that <laughs> we have a lot of text to get to. So just just prepare yourself, okay? Uh, let me pray and then we're going to get right into this thing. Spirit of the living God, we come to you right now. I just want to say thank you for allowing this opportunity for my brothers and my sisters to hear and receive a word from you. Father God, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. May you get the glory, honor, and praise from this moment, from our lives, Heavenly Father. Remove any distractions, any fears, nerves, anxieties, worries, cares, concerns that your children have, Jesus. We lay them at your feet. We don't pick them back up. And we ask you to take it, God, and give us your rest. Fill us with your peace, your love, your wisdom, your light, your guidance. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so the law of exception. Um, I wanted to talk today about this because I feel like people need to understand something that I've heard multiple times in the church. And if you've grown up in the church or been raised in the church or been at any church service, you've probably heard this as well. And it's something called favor ain't fair. Mm-hmm, baby, yeah, I know. Maybe you, and if you haven't heard it before, but this is your first time hearing it, thank you for listening. Favor ain't fair, okay? And I'm going to say it just like that. I know that's not correct English. I'm going to say favor is not fair, whatever. Today, we're going to say favor ain't fair. You need to understand that the favor that God has on your life, the blessings that he has in store for you, what he's calling you to do, can't nobody do it like you, boo. I know that there's nothing new under the sun. We learn that in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 15. I understand all of that jazz. But what I'm saying to you today is God specifically designed and equipped and created you for such a time as this to be in the land today. I don't care whether you are 150, 15 or 5, wherever you are in that circle of life, it does not matter. God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. You have not seen your best days and you have to understand that the favor on your life, the anointing on your life, the calling on your life is not fair. I'm sorry to tell you that. Actually, I'm not sorry. (laughs) Hashtag sorry, not sorry, because you should be happy about that. And with that favor comes a responsibility. Now, it's your job to steward it, but it's also your job to live up to the expectation that God has for your life. You can't shrink back, especially not in this season. Mm-mm. No, baby, no. You cannot shrink back just because of what you see around you or any fears or concerns or worries. You can't. I don't care well what somebody else said or what didn't work out for them or how many statistics that they can give you that says, well, in this particular field, that didn't work that way. Baby, I understand that you tried it a hundred times, but the hundred and one time is going to be for you in Jesus name. Why? Because favor ain't fair. This is the law of exception. There's there's a rule to the exception and the exception is you. God says, my word is on you. And so as we learn in Isaiah 55, his word won't return to him void. So if he spoke a word over your life, it cannot return back. It must go forth. And so even if you haven't seen that word manifest yet, it doesn't matter. It must go forth. Now, we could mess it up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
we could definitely mess it up. We could definitely get into our own way, get into our own feelings, and mess some things up. But God says, my word won't return to me void. Now, he could decide to change a word, and we're going to see that in the text today. He can, you know, he can call for a thing or allow a thing to happen because of what what we pray for. And then he can decide, you know what? I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to do something different. You just got to make sure that you're in alignment for your assignment. Because when you're out of alignment, these are when the enemies can attack you. This is when the enemy can come and defeat you in different ways. And we'll learn that in a text. And so today, I'm going to talk a lot from Samuel today. We're going to go from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel don't worry, we're not reading both the books. So I don't want people thinking like, oh my gosh, is she about to read all that text? No, baby, we don't got time for that. <laughs> but I do want to start at 1 Samuel 15. And then we're going to go over to uh, 2 Samuel 12. I'm going to speak a little bit about 2 Samuel 11 as well. I actually touched on 2 Samuel 11 and 12 earlier in the week. Um, so definitely go check out the earlier uh, episodes of season three, but um, I'll paraphrase a little bit of uh, of uh, chapter 11 in second Samuel. And then I want to read a little bit of chapter 12, just because I want you to see the parallels between the two kings and the two kings I'm talking about is Saul and David. And I also actually want to show you the two parallels between two prophets, which is Samuel and Nathan. And so I, I love how God specifically designed and picked this text for today because you're really going to see and understand the law of exception and how favor ain't fair. I know it didn't work out for mama and them. And, and I know you may feel bad for that. I know it didn't work out for grandma and grandpa and, and uncles and aunties. I know some cousins. I know some friends that may have tried what God is telling you to try. They may have went in the direction God's telling you to go. They may have went to get that bank loan for that house or for that business. And it didn't work out for them. And so they may feel a little sour. They may feel a little bitter. And they may have some bad advice for you that says don't try. But baby God says try. Baby God says do. Baby God says go and move forward. Why? Because favor ain't fair. I've designed it to open the door for you. I know the door didn't open for them. But that's because the door wasn't for them. I always knew the door was going to be for you. And so I'm allowing it for you. And even if you may say, well, Andrea, I've tried several times in the past to make my dreams come true. I've tried several times in the past to find a house or to buy a new home or to buy a, a new car or to move to a new location. And that didn't work out. Baby, you don't quit trying. It may be a reason why that one didn't work out. It may be a reason why that door didn't open for you. Either that wasn't your door. Or God knew that just like with the children of Israel, as I talked about before, God knew that if I take you that way, there's a battle there that you're not ready for. You're not equipped for. I know you think you're big and bad, baby, but you're not. You are not ready for what's there. So I'm going to take you a roundabout way to get there. You know, uh, I think about actually it's interesting because I wasn't planning on going this way. But, you know, God takes the word how he wants to take it. I think about my time uh, in when I was working in entertainment and uh, TV, film and fashion in New York City. And uh, I worked it for about three years and uh, did pretty well. Worked on many big projects with different fashion companies and uh, worked a lot with uh, Mercedes-Benz New York Fashion Week with different fashion houses. Uh, I also did a lot of work on films and TV shows that people know. Um, it's very interesting that I didn't run into the Duchess because I actually worked on her show Suits. Uh, and so I did a lot of different things. But... Um, it was always in the um, in the the sphere of um, wardrobe stylist. So I was either a costume assistant or a wardrobe stylist assistant, but always in that sector of fashion. And I thought that that was the time 
to go and to launch. And I appreciate that God allowed, you know, many doors to open up to me. But then I told you guys before, if you've been following this podcast from season one, I went into a Joe Wilderness season in 2014 where God allowed, um, I would say by 2015, rather, when it comes to this, God allowed like every door to just close on me. And I didn't understand why at the time, why God would you uh, punish me? Like I did everything right. I did everything you told me to do. I, I sacrificed my, my own dreams and goals and things I really wanted to do to uh, take care of my grandmother. And, uh, and now she's passed away. And so... God, like, I felt punished. I'm not going to lie to you. I really felt punished. And it wasn't until I went on the journey of growing deeper in faith to understand something that God said to me, which is Job. And he just kept echoing Job. And I didn't understand at the time why he kept speaking to me about Job until I went into the Bible and read Job. And he said, uh, at that time between 2014 and I want to say 2016, um, God really kept hovering over me about two names in the bible job and naomi job and naomi and i knew or i thought i knew at the time why he was saying naomi because that was my grandmother's name and so i was like oh okay i didn't know there was somebody in the bible named naomi so i went and i read um the scripture text about ruth and naomi and then I was like, oh my God, this is me, my grandma. Like, this is so crazy. Even though Ruth was the daughter-in-law and this was my paternal grandmother, it, it just still was like the dynamic of like really mother and daughter and this unbreakable bond that no matter where you go, I'm going. And my heart felt that way. Even with her dying, I felt like I want to die. Like there, what other point is there to live? Even though I had this you know, in a sense, budding career or beginning to bud career in New York, it still wasn't where I wanted it to be. I, you know, God allowed me to work on a, a lot of great projects and I, you know, been to some great places. And so it was like, wow, this is amazing. I enjoy what I do. Um, but there still was something missing, especially because for me, I didn't go into fashion for fashion's sake <laughs> you know most people go into fashion because they love clothes and jewelry and whatever and so they love the vanity of it i didn't go into fashion for that because my degree is in psychology and i remember the day after i graduated i had a conversation from college and i had a conversation with uh my uncle one of my uncles i have many uncles one of my uncles and he said to me uh the famous line from sister act two back in habit uh that um sister mary clarence who was played by whoopi goldberg says to rita who was played by lauren hill and uh she says um baby if all you could think about is singing then you're meant to sing and so, even though that's not what I think about, but my uncle basically said to me, like, if all you could think about is fashion and helping people, then you're meant to do that. Figure out how to do it. And so, when I went into fashion, my point was to help people through fashion. To help people's self-confidence and their identity and loving the skin that they're in. And I wanted to really bring my psychology degree into fashion and I used to call it like fashion of psychology because I was like so excited to do something like that and I even had a um a uh digital magazine um you know called rock chic and that was pretty you know popping uh I didn't know at that time what that meant uh but it, it got a lot of traction on the internet but because um blogging and doing digital content online was new to me I didn't really know what all these numbers of people meant in these different countries that I was, I didn't know what any of that meant. So that part didn't really like phase me whatsoever. Um, but I still had to say I went into fashion for the purpose of helping people. And there did, I will be honest, there came a time where I was seeing it was becoming more about the vanity portion of it and not about helping people. And so I became a little weary in it, but I still would, you know, take my wearies to the Lord and then show up 
at a hundred percent to do my best job. And, uh, and I, again, I still loved what I did, but I felt like there was a piece missing. And so when God took me into a wilderness season, like I said, he kept speaking to me right after my grandmother passed away of Job and Naomi. And I was like, okay, well, who's Job? Who's Naomi? Uh, because I hadn't gotten to those texts in the Bible just yet. I had just started, um, being, uh, 100% in on reading my Bible in 2013. So granted this is a year later in 2014 but i still was uh, at the beginning stages of um you know i felt of studying my bible um granted i was doing it every day but you know the bible is uh, main the most translations of 66 canon so that's a lot to read in a year um if you're not being intentional about dedicating that time to read more than a couple scriptures a day and at that time, I wasn't. So I was just like, well, I read a few scriptures. That's fine. And again, you start somewhere. And so um, I went into reading first Naomi because, like I said, it was right after my grandma passed away. I just went into reading Naomi. I saw Ruth and Naomi. I saw me and my grandma. And I just kept studying and studying, like re over rereading and rereading and rereading that text. Because only four chapters. So I just kept rereading and rereading that text over and over again. And then God reminded me of Job. And I was like, well, who the heck is Job? And at the time, I was thinking it was spelled like J-O-B-E or something like that. And so I was looking. I'm like, there is no Job in the Bible. And then I think I heard like a, a at that time a sermon. I don't remember who it was by. And they mentioned Job. And then they, uh, you know, helped me find a text. And I was like, oh, okay. Job, J-O-B, like job. <laughs> okay, got you. And so I went into the text and I read it. And immediately within the first chapter, I was like, oh my God, this is me. This is no wonder why God wanted me to read this text. This is me. And it took a while. It took a couple years of me praying about it and asking God uh, to help me understand the text. And what does it all mean? And eventually um, it was explained to me that I've entered you into a Job wilderness season where I have allowed the enemy to test you. I know the glory I'm going to get from your life, but I've allowed the enemy to test you in, in these areas. He can't take your life. And again, I didn't know that at the time. So when I was grieving, like I said, I felt like dying because it was like, like Ruth with Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And so for me, it was like, well, my grandma's dead. I don't see the purpose for me. I might as well be dead too. And I thank God that, <clears throat> excuse me, he spared my life. Because if it wasn't for him sparing my life, I would not be here today to give you a testimony. That's another point of the law of exception. Because I did try to end my life. I said what it's before. I did try to commit suicide. And I thank God that he had the final say. Because why? Because he said into in the bu the book of Job, he said it then, and he said it again with me. I told him he can test you, but he cannot take your life. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. But it made me go on a like a ferocious journey to find out why was I alive. God, you didn't want me here to just suffer. You didn't want me here to just be in pain. So what is my life for? What's the purpose? I thought the purpose was this one assignment you gave me and I worked it for 10 years. And I'm not talking about the entertainment portion. I'm talking about taking care of my grandmother. I did that for 10 years. I did my job. God, she's gone. What other purpose is there? And I'm so grateful that God helped me realize that there's an exception to every rule. Yes, uh, yes, that assignment is finished, but it doesn't mean your life is complete. I have a new assignment for you. And so I had to partner with the Holy Spirit to go on that journey to understand what that assignment is. And in the very same year that I tried to end my life by the end of the year. So I tried to take my life March 2016 by the end of the year. Heck, I want to say really by August 2016, I started to hear God's holy spirit say to me write the story tell the story and i didn't know what that meant at the time and i wasn't really clear on 
hearing God's voice for myself. I didn't think I ever heard his voice for myself. So I had to keep praying about like, is this your voice? Holy Spirit, what am I hearing? And by the end of the year, I had my marching orders to go and share the gospel to go and write my story about what I've been through and then also to share the good news of Jesus Christ and and then sure enough it was confirmed um or I would say rather solidified because God confirmed it every time I prayed but by April 25th 2017 it was solidified that this is what I want you to do and I thank God because look at how God works a year before I would have been dead had the enemy got his way because I went through with trying to end my life. But a year later, God said, no, I'm giving you life. I have a purpose for you. And here is your purpose. The exception, the law of exception says, I know that other people, when their assignments was over, it was the end of their life. And many of us know people who have passed away because their assignment was done. But God said, my exception for you is it's not over yet. I may have shifted your assignment. I may have closed the door for that one assignment, but I'm opening a new door opportunity. You need to see what I'm doing. And so I just thank God that favor ain't fair. This is not to rag on anybody because I don't want anybody listening and saying that, oh, well, my child committed suicide and they did die. And I'm so sorry for your loss. I really am. I'm not saying that condescending or anything. I really am sorry for your loss. But could I submit for your consideration that their assignment was up? And you may say, well, what assignment? Think about what they brought to your life. Think about what they did. You know, I know somebody or I knew somebody rather who um, their life was what we thought was cut off short, but they lived a full life and they left us beautiful children to remember them by that continues on their legacy, filling our hearts with the same joy that that person once shared. So you got to not look at the glass, the glass, excuse me, as half empty. Look at the glass as half full. What is left? What's the remnant that's left that you can glean from? It's not all over. So even though that person may have died, it's still not over. There's still life for you. There's still life to live. Hold on to that. And so I didn't mean to like pivot but I believe that you know God moves in the way that he wants it to move and I'm just here to be obedient so we will get to the text um right now first Samuel 15 starting at the first verse <coughs> excuse me and it says I'm reading from the new living translation by the way and it says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. That means men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels and donkeys so Saul mobilized his army at Telium there were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay it in wait in the valley excuse me and lay in wait in the valley Saul sent this warning to the Kenites move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them for you show kindness to all the people of Israel when they camp when they came up from Egypt. So the Canites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites. From Havilah all the way to Shur. East of Egypt. He captured Agag. The Amalekite king. But completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life. And kept the best of the sheep and goats. The cattle. The fat. Cows and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Now, pausing really quickly. 
already we can see Saul was out of order because God said destroy everything all the women men children babies sheep cattle goats camels and donkeys he said destroy everything and yet we see um between verse 8 and 9 Saul kept everything he you know well not everything he killed the people but he kept the king and he kept the best portions of the sheep goats cattle fat cows lambs and everything else what's interesting is as i'm thinking right now this reminds me of another story i'm not going to go into too much details of this because this just came to mind so i'm not about to go and read that scripture (laughs) but it reminds me of the story of cain and abel and how cain um you know was displeasing in the lord's sight because cain didn't give god his first fruits cain was unwilling to give god his very best whereas abel was willing to give god the first fruits the best portion but we see here the opposite was saul saul had a king spirit that said i'm gonna take the best portions for myself and give god the least best portions i'm gonna only do partial because cain still gave an offering when it was time to give up an offering to God, both Cain and Abel came with offerings. It's just that Cain's offering was the least bits and pieces and portions that he wanted. You know, the leftovers. Whereas Abel gave God the first fruits, the best cut portions of the beef, so to speak. Like he gave him the Wagyu Kobe steak and, and then took the rest for himself, the scraps for himself. He had enough honor in God to say, I'm going to give you my very best because you gave it to me. And I know that whatever's left over, you'll sustain me to live off of. Whereas Saul didn't have that faith, just like Cain didn't have that faith to believe that, oh, God will give me his very best if I give him my very best. That's the word I did for somebody. Give God your very best. Don't think that, oh, well, if I give God, you know, this 10% portion in my tithe, or if I give God this offering of my best, then I'm not going to have nothing. No, 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 no. God wants you to live off of his very best, not your own. And that's one of the reasons why just really quickly, it's important to tithe the 10%. Because look at the how small 10% is. If you think about $100, you're only tithing ten dollars 90 of it is still yours you're just giving away 10 to god so it may seem like oh this is a lot this is the best big portion but if you look at it really god is only asking for a teeny bit and he's giving you the greater portion than you can ever give yourself uh so that's the word out there for somebody so let's continue on in this text Uh, Verse 10, then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Mm, 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 mm. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's commands. Then what is all this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear? Samuel demanded. It is true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But, I mean, come on, they was going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Isn't that enough? Then Samuel said to Saul, please, please, bro, please. Okay, just just hold hold your peace. Hold your, shut up. (laughs) Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Uh, All right, bro, what what, what did God tell you? Come on, just tell me what God tell you. Verse 17, and Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder? That's the riches. That's the, the good portion. Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I 
tell me the Lord, bro. Like, you, you ain't see. I just told you. Saul said, I carried out the mission he gave me. I mean, I just only brought back King Agog. But I, I destroyed everything else. Like, come on. That should be enough. And then my troops, like, they wanted, you know, their own little, you know, they, they wanted their own little treasures. So they brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and plundered the sacrifice to the Lord your God and good gal. But, I mean, come on. Like, I, I did at least the assignment. Like, I should at least get an A for effort, right? <laughs> but Samuel replied, uh, excuse you, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, okay, okay, since you're going to put a mirror in front of my face, okay, fine, yes, I have sinned, I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. I mean, that's all truth. Remember that yesterday, right? Like, truth and fact. Yes, that's, that's all the, the fact of the matter. You right, you right, you right. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. And Samuel returned to go. Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, mm, you see what you just did? Yeah, uh-huh. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else one who is better than you and he who is the glory of Israel will not lie nor will he change his mind for he is not human that he should change his mind and really quickly for those that don't know the glory of Israel is God then Saul pleaded again I know, come on bro I know I know I know I know I have sinned but please I mean at the very least bro yo at least honor me before the elders of my people. Like, come on. Don't don't diss me for my mans and them now. Come on. Come on, Cletus. And before Israel, by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Oh, okay, fine, 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 fine. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him and saw worship the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. That's the Malachi king. Agag arrived full of hope for he thought, woof. Man, did I dodge a bullet earlier, child? Surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, ha, ha, ha. "Oh, that was cute, bro. No, that was that was cute. That was cute. You thought you were spared? Uh, no. As your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless." And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgag. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at Geba of Saul. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. And so as we go to the next text really quickly, uh, if you guys haven't already picked up on it, I put some little emphasis, some little stank on it for you. But, um, you know, go read your Bible. If you don't want the stank on it, you just want the text, go read it yourself for yourself, okay? But when I read my Bible, I like to, as my brother uh, Travis Green says, read my Bible. So I like to put a little stank on it, how I would talk to people, how I know other people talk to people. So um, so we're going to go to Second Samuel uh at the starting at uh chapter 12 but i really quickly so in the text we just read the king that uh the lord decided to anoint in place of saul name is david and david gets anointed king second samuel is, is years later after saul passed away because even though god rejected uh, Saul as king he still didn't take the throne completely away from him. he allowed him to live out his days as king but it wasn't going to go to like his children the way we think of a monarchy passing down the crown it was going to end with Saul being king and so uh, in the meantime while Saul is still reigning as king Samuel then goes if you continue to read on in chapter 16 Samuel then uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 then 
Samuel the prophet goes to find Saul uh, at Jesse's house. I mean, I saw, excuse me, David at Jesse's house. And he anoints David as the new king of Israel when Saul finishes his term. And so it's kind of like for those that may, you know, still be confused. It's kind of like um, our presidency today in America. Like, but while the president is still in office, another president is uh, voted for and, and made president in waiting, basically. Uh, until the final uh, inauguration day. And so that's kind of like the same thing. Like when the king uh, passes away, instead of it going to his relatives, it goes to the new king that was kind of voted in, except for the votes was done by God and not by man. And so in first Samuel, I mean, excuse me, in second Samuel 11, we find that David uh, sins against God with another man's wife. He commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and this is when he was supposed to be out during the spring time of the year uh, at war he was supposed to be doing something to fight off the Ammonites at army and yet he didn't do what he was supposed to do so he was out of alignment I talked about this before so I'm not going to go down that you got to go back into the earlier episodes of the season to listen to that episodes um when I went into detail and I read this text, uh, but you can also read the text on your own, Second Samuel uh, chapter eleven. And so David, when he commits adultery with Bathsheba, he um, he gets her pregnant. And how he wound up committing adultery with her was not that he intended it, but like I talked about before, you don't know when the enemy is going to attack you. That's why you got to stand on guard. You know, our anchor text for this entire series is Galatians 5, 19 through 26 and Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. These are the internal armor and the external armor of God. And so you have to be able to stand on guard at all times because you don't know when the enemy is going to come and attack you. You don't know as we're in Galatians 5, you don't know when he's going to come with some sort of sinful temptation that will, um, that's called uh sinful manners or acts of the flesh in the bible you don't know when that's going to happen and so you have got to be on guard at all times because if not the enemy will trick you tempt you and you will fall into prey and so this is how david gets caught up in this adulterous situation and then got a whole baby mama now <laughs> with Bathsheba because he was just doing something on a regular that most of us you know do like he was basically even though it says in the bible he was on the rooftop to put it in modern day terms it was like he was out in the backyard he was out in the backyard, let's say, just walking around, mowing the grass, whatever. And he turns his head and sees the next door neighbor is sunbathing outside, nude. Or she's, um, you know, skinny dipping in her pool. Or maybe they got a, a bathroom and the windows open. And so he sees her taking a bath and he sees a new body. And so now all these lustful thoughts come to his mind that he wasn't thinking before he turned his head and saw temptation. That's what I'm saying. You never know when the enemy will tempt you or distract you or, or try to, um, try to derail you off the journey that you're on off of your faith being, uh, in God and what he has in store for you. So you got to stand on guard at all times because you never know when the attack is going to happen. And so we pick up, uh, after, um, David sins, we pick up in second Samuel, uh, chapter 12 and this is what happens uh, after he sends he's uh, the Lord sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to go to rebuke David and tell David um, God's judgment in the same way that Samuel had to go and tell saw God's judgment and so starting at the first verse of second Samuel chapter 12 so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story there were two men in a certain town one was rich and one was poor the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought he raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, 
Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole, and for heaven, no pity. Oh, then Nathan said to David, <laughs> So funny you should say that, bro, because, uh, you that man. <laughs> The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why? Why, bro? Why? Then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife Bathsheba to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. And he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan. <sighs> Bruh. You're right. You're so right. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes. Yeah, 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 you did. Yep. But the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord. By doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife Bathsheba. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but David refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. And so I wanted to stop here. And show the difference. I know you may say, okay, well, you said the title of this is the law of exception. What do these two texts have to do with the law of exception? I'm going to tell you why. I also told you that favor ain't fair. And that's tied into the law of exception. So as we see, when Saul sinned, he was completely rejected. And the kingdom was torn from him and given to David. When David sinned, he was rebuked. But he was not rejected by God. He was able to still go on as king and live out his four days as king. Now, there was a lot of tor you know, turmoil. If you continue reading your Bible, you'll find out that like his son came, his one son uh, did, did a horrible crime and raped his sister Tamar. And then the other son killed the brother for raping their sister. And, and then he... Uh, con you know, cunningly and connivingly took over the king and, and, you know, made up a rebellion against David's. And so David had to go on a run again while his son then slept with his wives. So it's, it's a lot to the text. David eventually gets back his kingdom because one of his, uh, Joab, I believe his name is, um, his, uh, head of his army, you know, kills his son. Um, and so Absalom. And so David gets his, a kingdom back from Absalom, but it, it's a lot like what God said did come to pass for David. The difference is, like I said earlier with Saul and Cain and Abel, is that uh, the parallels between David and Saul is that when Saul sinned, as we saw in the text, he gave up 50,000 excuses as to why it should be okay, why it should be accepted that what he did. Um, you know, he should at least get A for effort. Like, I mean, I did at least part of what you asked. You know, I didn't do everything. And he gave so many different excuses until the very end. And it took Samuel to finish Saul's job. It wasn't for the prophet to kill the king. God gave that order to the king to kill the other king. But since he didn't kill King Agag, then it left for Saul the prophet to finish the Lord's work. That Saul didn't finish. Then we fast forward to David. Whereas for David. Even though he didn't go out to war. As he was supposed to. This also as we read in the text. Was not mandated in, in 1 Samuel. I'm asking me 2 Samuel 11. Oh it's a lot of Samuels. <laughs> uh, God didn't at that particular beginning of the text. Send David out. And David didn't go out. 
It was just that this was the normal for the kings of this time to go to war in the springtime. And David chose not to, which then allowed temptation to come creeping in like the serpent in the garden. And so, but we see between Nathan and David, when Nathan comes, the prophet Nathan comes to rebuke David for his sin. David then repents. That's the difference. That's the law of exception. That even though one person, the kingdom was torn away from completely and their family line was not able to continue being kings. David's family line was to be able to go on to being kings because Jesus came from the Davidic line or the David bloodline. His line went on to continue to be kings in the land because of his willingness to admit his sin. But then also different from Saul because Saul admitted his sin too finally. But the difference is David immediately admitted his sin and then uh, repented, which meant turned away from the sin. And he accepted whatever God's judgment was. And so that meant that God was going to kill the child, even though David, you know, kind of pleaded that, that the child be spared. He still accepted that God, whatever your will is, it will be done. And so we see that even in... um. I'm going to, I stopped at 2 Samuel 12, uh, 18, but if we drop down to, um, verse 20, actually, you know what? Verse 19, when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and he ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now the child is dead. You have stopped your mourning and are eating again. And here's the key right here. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And so in this text, we see that basically David accepted whatever God said. Even though he, his hope was that God would turn around, but he also didn't fight against it either. Whereas we see with Samuel and Saul, Saul kept fighting against it. Even went so far as tearing the robe of, Saul, of Samuel, trying to stop him from leaving to get uh, God change his mind, basically. Like he just would not accept God's decision. And it was mainly because he was not willing, not only were you disobedient to what God told you to do. But then when you were confronted with it, you couldn't even admit your sin. You made up a ton of excuses as to why. And so this is why we see the law of exception played out so beautifully in this text. David got favored. Saul didn't. Why? Because David was willing to be obedient and to repent of his sins and to accept God's judgment. Saul was unwilling to be obedient and to repent of his sins. Therefore, he did not accept God's judgment. And if you continue reading the text throughout um, 1 Samuel, you'll see time and time again, Saul will be fighting against uh, God's judgment. He would, you know, do a lot of things. And that's because God sent a tormenting spirit to Saul. But Saul would do a lot of things to try to kill David, to try to keep the prophecy in a sense from going forth but how many of you know out there that like i said favor ain't fair and so whatever god spoke about you is gonna come to pass there is no devil in hell no person on this earth that can stop what god says because he said my word will not return to me void and so if i release this word about you it's not gonna come back you know this is something that i've had to learn even recently with my life because as i started talking about earlier um, you know, when I was working in New York, uh, and at that time I entered to, uh, into 2014 to a Joe wilderness season. And so when God told me to, you know, write the story, teach the gospels through my story, I thought that meant, um, kind of what we all kind of would think when you, you know, get a, 
uh, um, instruction like that, you think like, okay, God, you must want me to go like to a church or something and get on the ministry board and, and then go to uh, seminary school and whatnot. And so I started doing research or seminary school stuff. And God said, I didn't tell you to do any of that. I, what you have in your hand is enough. I told you to start here and do what I'm telling you to do. I've already assigned you, already equipped you, I already, already put my words in you, I already told you what you need to do, because there's more to the vision, I don't feel like getting to it right now, but, and so I was just like, okay, God, and so I was obedient to move the way he was telling me to move, um, and during that season, in that time of my Job Wilderness season, I completely thought that me and the entertainment industry and the fashion world and whatnot, like, that was just severed, and that was just some something like like a fluke in a sense like that happened it was you know silly or pointless or something but there was no point to it basically and what God had to show me was I didn't forget that I allowed you I opened those doors for a reason I allowed you to see into a system that I'm going to still use for my glory and you're still going to do something in those fields it's just not going to be the way you think. And so I had to realize, oh, okay. And what I'm seeing manifest is so beautiful of how God is bringing back the original desire, which was to marry my degree in psychology with faith. He's bringing it back in a renewed way. Come on, y'all. Agents of revival happened in me first. I say it all the time. I was the first. I am the first agent of revival. I am the first person that the Holy Spirit came and completely revived and restored my life and anointed it for me to go out and then revive other people. To be an agent of revival means that you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to partner with you to make changes in your life and to anoint you with what you need to then go out and make other disciples or to make other agents of God. That's what Agent Revival is. It's really an agent of God. A modern day disciple, if you will. And so I'm the first. And, and I thank God of his restorative powers that what seemed dead in one season is coming back to life in another. It's come back so beautifully. And I'm getting all these ideas and things that I and and. And resources and things I want to get to you guys. And I'm so excited to get to you guys. Um, and so uh, that with that takes finances. And I normally say this at the end. But for those that want to invest into what God is doing through me and Agents of Revival. You can go see the links in the description. Or you can also see find me at Cash App or Venmo App at Andrea Griffin Rogers. Um, you can look for the spelling of my name in the description as well. Andrea Griffin Rogers. In the text, I'm on Cash App and I'm on Venmo app right now. And you're investing into the continued resources and, um, and products and services that God placed on my heart to bring to you and to bring to the world. And so I'm just like, wow, God, like this is so amazing. I thought that this was dead and gone, but I realized that your favor is still upon my life. That that the law of exception is saying that there that though that time and that door seemed to close, it wasn't finished. I never said it was finished and for you for that. I just said we're gonna pause for a minute. I gotta take you through a wilderness. I gotta shake some things uh up and I have to get you back on track. Cause like I told you, there you know, uh eventually even though I went into the fashion world with the notion of wanting to bring uh, faith and psychology into fashion and it kind of didn't work and it came more about vanity, God now has allowed me through Agents of Revival to put together concepts and ideas and, and products and services um, that will be exactly what I always wanted. And so I'm like, to God be the glory. That's so amazing. And so we see the same thing even with David where it seemed like he went through a tough time, but God still didn't take his hand off of him. The favor was still on his life. 
he was still going to see God's glory because if you continue to read into the rest of the text, you find that Bathsheba gets pregnant again. And this is when we uh, are introduced to Solomon because Solomon is born from Bathsheba and David's love and, and union of their now official marriage since she is a widow thanks to David <laughs> for, uh, from her ex-husband or first husband rather Uriah and so it's, it's just amazing the way that God works how he brings things around in seasons and it kind of brings me to my next scripture of um of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and um Ecclesiastes chapter 3 let's start at the first verse These are the words of the teacher, King David's son. This is Solomon. Solomon wrote this book. Who ruled in Jerusalem. It says, chapter 3, starting at the first verse. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching a time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear and a time to mend a time to be quiet and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate a time for war and a time for peace there's an exception to the law all the time because it depends on what cycle what part of the circle that you're in are you in a time to scatter stones excuse me are you in a time to gather stones? Are you at a time right now in your life to embrace? Or are you in a time right now where God's saying turn away? Are you in a time right now um, for new birth in your life? Or, are, or is there a time in your life right now where God's causing and asking for some things to die in your life? For some things to be let go in your life? Are you in a planting season of your life? Or are you in a harvest season of your life? It all depends on where you are. That's the rule to the exception. And I understand that it may not have worked out for somebody else. We see that with Saul and David, Cain and Abel. It maybe didn't work out for them for a reason that you may not be privy to or know about. Because God may have judged them in that way and said no. But he has a yes for you. There's a door of opportunity for you. There is a window and a gate where God pours out blessings just for you. Just for you and your bloodline. It didn't work out for Saul's bloodline. But it sure enough worked out for David's bloodline. Hello somebody. Thank you Jesus for being Jesus. For being a part of the Davidic bloodline. So no. it Favor ain't fair. <laughs> I mean I can't get away from that. Favor ain't fair. It It is what it is. You know there's no getting away. Away, away excuse me. Or around of that. And so before we go I want to read you this quick little story. Um, that I thought was so amazing and it was inspired by Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 which says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen and it's from the NRSV version because different translations uh, says this scripture very differently but for the most part now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or the evidence of things not seen and so it says, though I've been Christian for decades and studied scripture, biblical history and theology, I still feel mystified by the resurrection promised by Jesus. Rising from the dead defies my feeble mortal logic. I cannot begin to fathom how this transformation can occur, much less how it will work or how it will look or feel. Excuse me. Yes, I can believe that Jesus rose again. He's divine after all. But me? I can't even understand how my wireless printer works, child, or how monarch butterflies know the way to Mexico, or how a human being can compose a symphony. But do I need to understand mere mechanics to believe that something is so? To appreciate what seems impossible and be amazed? Like the father of the epileptic boy, I pray, Lord, 
I believe. Help my unbelief. And that scripture is from Mark 9 verse 24. And I think of Jesus' parable of the mustard seed and his insistence that a tiny bit of faith is enough. I garden a lot, so seeds are something I can relate to, even though I don't know exactly how they transform either. Nonetheless, I'm fascinated that specks like sand grains can become carrots, that tiny black seeds can turn into green lettuce, and that a brown lump of bulb can shoot up to transform into the green foliage and spectacular blooms of a scarlet amaryllis even indoors in winter dead looking seeds bulbs husks and tubers offer no hint of the splendor to come and though i don't quite understand how seeds quote unquote work i continue to plant them because i know they do i believe the pictures on the packets i believe in resurrection perhaps each miracle will help me to get better grasp of the other this uh, story actually is by an author named Gail Thorell Schilling. And I love that uh, short story because, you know, many times, first of all, it spoke to me personally. Uh, it's just something that I've been going through in my life. And I'm like, wow, God, thank you for the law of exception. That reminds me that you have the keys of David, as it says in Revelation 3, 7. And that what door you open, no man can close. And what door you close, no man can open. I'm so thankful that I don't have to fully understand everything. I just have to have faith to believe it's going to come to pass. And so even for you out there, you have to have faith to believe that what God said about you will come to pass. That whatever promise he has for you, whatever door of opportunity he has for you, whatever window of blessing he's going to pour out onto you is for you. It doesn't matter if it didn't work out for somebody else. It doesn't matter if they tried and failed or even if there was a season like me where you tried and it didn't seem to work out the way you intended. And so God may have put a pen in that moment or a bookmark in that moment, but he didn't close your book. He didn't end your story. He still had more to add to the chapters. You just had to be patient and wait. This is why I had to read Ecclesiastes 3 as well, because you have to understand what season and time you're in. And so don't give up hope thinking that, oh, well, because this didn't work out that way or because uh, somebody else has a testimony that it didn't work for them. Or even if you saw something work for them just really quickly, because it could be flipped as well. You may have seen something work for somebody else. I know a lot of times, and this is another story for another day, another topic rather for another day. But many times we get into, especially in modern day times, the spirit of comparison. And I'm definitely going to talk about that a little later in the season. But we get into the spirit of comparison where we feel like, oh, well, God did it that way for them. Why isn't it work out for me in that same way? Or God did it for them that way. He's going to definitely do it for me that same way. No, baby, no. God says, um, I'm doing something new in Isaiah 43, 43 verse 18. I'm doing something new. Do you not perceive it or do you not see it? God does something new each time. Even though we just learned there's nothing new under the sun, God does it a different way is a better translation each time. And so he may have done it that way for them. And you may be encouraged or inspired by the way he did it for them. And that's okay. But don't make your prayer or don't make your belief system that, okay, the exception or, or uh, the rule is that he's going to do the same thing for me in, a, in that same way. No, the exception for you is going to be different for them. So though it worked out for them in that way, it's going to work out for you in a different way in the way it's meant to in the way that you need. Because the way that they ran their race, you may not be able to run at that same pace or run your race that way. Not everybody has the same endurance levels. You learn that when you work out or when you are um, fit training to run a marathon, um, even if it's to just to raise money for charity. The way one person trains is not the same way somebody else is going to train. It doesn't work that same way because all of our bodies are different. The same thing goes for our blessings. All of our blessings are different. They're not made up in the same way. They may look the same, but when you go under a microscope, you can see, oh, okay, wait, that's a little bit different. So you may be praying for, let's say, example, a spouse, a husband or a wife. And you may have seen somebody else recently get married. And so you're like, oh, they got a godly woman or a godly man. God's going to do that the same way for me. God's going to send my roof. God's going to send my Boaz. And it's going to look just like that. No, it's not. It's going to look the way God needs it to look for you. And you got to be okay with that. 
and receive that knowing that God intentionally created the blessings on your life for you, the favor on your life for you, because he knows how you're made up he knows how you're built he knows your endurance levels and so he knows that that person that you're looking at wouldn't be perfect for you that's why it's perfect for that person but the person perfect for you or the blessing perfect for you god's gonna bring it to you at the right time this is the law of exception and how this ties into trigger wars is because the enemy does not want you to know that the enemy does not want you to know that there is a law of exception that says, even though enemy got through you out of heaven, he's not going to close the door to heaven for me. He's going to allow me to go to heaven. He's going to allow me to repent of my sins. He's going to allow, uh, he's going to forgive me of my sins. He's going to allow me to fall short of his glory, but then I can take my cares and worries and concerns and my baggage and my shame and my guilt. And I can bring that at his feet because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I can drop that at his feet and know that he will still forgive me. He will still love me. He will still accept me. For all the mess I've been through. For all the ruggedness I've lived. Satan got kicked out of heaven. So he don't want you to get there. That's why he wants you to understand. That oh you. Or he wants you to believe rather. That God closed the door on you. And you're too dirty. You're too filthy. You messed up too much. For God to open up. But baby there's a law of exception. That says I know that didn't work for you. But it's going to work for me. It's going to work in my favor. Because God chose me. God sent his only son to die for my sins because he wanted a relationship with me. So I understand Satan that you got cut off, but God ain't going to cut me off in the name of Jesus. You got to claim that and know that for yourself. That's the promise that God has for you. That for those who are called by his name, he will cause everything to work together for the good of them that love the Lord. You got to claim that for yourself. And so I pray this message stirs your faith, that it keeps you encouraged and strengthened to continue trucking on, knowing that favor ain't fair and God has favor and blessings on your life. Do not let the enemy continue to lie to you to make you think that you, you've seen your best days or that you've messed up too much and God can't use you. No, boo. That's the warfare in your life. But God says there's a law of exception. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. May Lord God be gracious to you. Show you his favor and give you shalom. Give you his peace. Take care. Bye now.